folks, it's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Democratic perspective. Steve Williamson here, sitting here, and across from me is Karen McClellan, our co-host. And we have two guests. They're both running for City Council of Sedona. And um, I'll let them tell you a little bit of, of, about their background. Um, JT's been on council quite a while, and so many people know him and his politics and ideas. But Melissa, you're new. Melissa Dunn. You're new to Sedona politics. Tell us a little bit about your background. So I've actually, my husband and I have owned a home here for over 14 years, but we both are um, in high tech, and there's not, never been a lot of high tech in the Sedona area or even close by. So we've always followed wherever the jobs were. Um, so we, you know, we worked for Microsoft, worked for Amazon, worked for Sears Digital. I ran their uh, online product development and then we went and we worked in England for uh, six years for a company called Sainsbury's Argos. means nothing to your listeners. Uh, Sainsbury's is the number three grocer, and Argos is um, pretty much like a Sears-only um, successful. So, uh, again, there I ran a team of over 50 people of lots of different backgrounds doing all of their product development for everything that was digital, so from mobile devices all the way to computer websites. Um, I'm also a um, certified instructor for Hatha Yin and Restorative Yoga. Um, and uh, about a year and a half ago, uh, COVID finally allowed us to leave England and come home because it was very tight lockdown in England. So we were able to come home and we were pretty astounded by the changes we had seen since the last time we had been able to be home. And I kept saying, there are all these things we should fix. How do we go about fixing them? And finally, a bunch of friends of mine said, look, you have a choice. You can either keep complaining or you can try and do something about it. Um, and so I thought I'd try to do something about it and help the place I love. So I'm running for council. And how long have you actually lived in Sedona? Over about 18 months, okay. full time. Let's go to JT because people know you may be JT from the council, but they don't really know much about your background. So why don't you tell us a little bit about what you did before you ran for office? Sure. Thanks, Steve. And good morning. And good morning, Karen and Melissa. Good to see everybody up and at it this early in the morning. Um, yeah, I have been on uh, council for a total of five and a quarter years uh, for uh, as an elected representative from 2014 to 18. Uh, and then uh, I did not run again uh, because I wanted to focus more on my main passion, which is sustainability. And a couple of nonprofits that I was working with, and there were some other really good candidates running that I wanted to support. Um, but I, I did accept a, uh, uh, an appointment to come back on council last March. Uh, there were a couple of uh, uh, resignations, and so I had to fill in. So um, I'm I'm standing again, <laughs> uh, and I I use the term standing for re-election rather than running. Uh, because I'm running a different kind of a campaign. But uh, in, in terms of my background, I'm just going to, uh, Steve, if it's okay, just refer people to my website. Um, I, I had a lot of fun writing the Meet JT page, uh, and it includes some um, interests, influences, and incidents in my life, 
It's got a really cute picture of me in a Cub Scout uniform when I was nine years old and some favorite quotes and uh, influences and so forth. So uh, if you want to know a little bit more about me personally, um, that's a good place to go. That's uh, My website is SedonaJT.com. And then let's ask uh, Melissa and we'll go to JT um, about home rule because that's one of the most contentious issues. It comes up every four years. Every four years, there's a real battle. Um, and so uh, what's your position on home rule? I'll ask you both. So I'm for home rule. I've said I'm for home rule. Every time the question has come up, there should be you know, no uh, misunderstanding there at all. I think that the angst that I hear and the, the frustration I hear in the voices um, that are, are speaking against home rule reflect more to me as a sociologist, they reflect more to me the fact that we feel like we're either not listened to or we're not understood, and there's a difference between listening and understanding. And um, I think that they, the belief is if I uh, use my vote to um, take away sort of a full use of the budget, how much money we have through getting rid of home rule, that I will be more heard I will, in essence, in some regards, punish um, the council by making them have less money to spend, and therefore they're going to listen to me. I'm going to let JT talk a little bit more about the specifics because he is on council about that. And um, I would just like to say that any time you take a drastic action, you have to think further than the two seconds after the vote is announced. You have to have a broader view, a longer view about the impact and when we do something like this, a severe reduction in budget, um, you know, everyone knows if you've ever worked in business, whenever you're told your department either has to cut their salary budget or they have to freeze it, the best and the brightest sharpen their pencils is what we say. They start to send their resumes out and you lose the best. And that's what will happen in our, our city staff. The other thing, too, is is when you finally get that money to come back, it's really hard to get the best and the brightest to come because there's a slight reputation that goes out that, it, you know, every two years or four years, that budget could change significantly and they may not still have their jobs. And also, you know, it's really hard. We call it mythical man month in uh, tech, which means that you think if you add people right away, they're going to be up to speed and you're just going to move forward and it's going to be lovely. And that's not how it works. It takes a long time to hire people to get them up to speed. And so if we close departments, which is probably what will happen, and JT can address that if I'm right or wrong. It's going to be really hard. Should we then, two years from now, vote home rule back in, it'll be very hard to spin those departments back up. And people really need to realize that city council and the staff are trying to maintain a town that on any given day is over double its population with tourism. And so we need to keep that into, into perspective as well. JT. Yeah, Melissa, you're absolutely right about that. I, I too, uh, support home rule. Um, in fact, uh, the four of us that you've had on, the two of us and, and uh, Brian and Pete last week, we all feel the same way. Um, and, in fact, I, I would certainly refer people back to the recording of your broadcast from last Monday where um, Pete and Brian uh, addressed this and and uh, Pete, in particular, did a very good, thorough explanation of uh, some of the history, uh, how we got to this point. Uh, he was on the committee that looked into the possibility of going to the permanent base adjustment, which is another alternative to home rule. 
And uh, his his basic point there was that we uh, we we simply are not uh, stable enough as a uh, from in terms of our in, uh, in income and and whatever to, to to go to something like that. We would we we just get as stuck as we would without home rule almost. So um, I would refer to that. Um, but I've I've yet to hear a discussion about what home rule is all about that didn't almost put people to sleep because it's so complicated to explain, but uh, it's very simple to understand. And I think Melissa's given you a good uh, start just by talking about what some of the implications are. And I know that people have to trust that, that that's really going to happen, but um, it, it, it really is the case that it's a, when it boils right down to it, it's a simple matter of we will be able to continue to take in all the income that we get in taxation but we will only be allowed to spend a very small portion of that. And so the budget that we've identified for this coming year will be able to do, but it will kick in for the next budget, and we would have to make some really, really drastic changes. And, uh, yes, it would have dramatic effects uh, on our employees, uh, whether they're thinking about a career uh, on our long-term planning for projects that span multiple years, um, if we had to finish something and we couldn't spend our cash, we would probably have to borrow money. And how crazy is it to borrow money when you've got all that cash sitting in the uh, in the bank? So um, it's it, the question about supporting home, home rule is one of the two that I just find almost uh, amazing that I even ans- have to answer it because the, the other one is, do you uh, do you believe in climate change? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that that's pretty much where I'm at, and um, frankly, uh, we go through this home rule thing every four years. Every four years, the basically the right and people who really hate city government. And I've been here for 20 <laughs> years and been involved in interviewing candidates first for a, an organization and now on the radio for 20 years. And we have to go through the same explanations every time. There are people who simply hate to sit on the city government. I, I've never even understood what their politics are. I mean, I know it's the right wing is against it because they want to control Sedona. Well, there's also been this thing, you know, going back 20, 30 years, the idea that somehow you can change the direction of your government by controlling the money. Taxpayer Bill of Rights, limitations, mm-hmm. it seems that the, the better way to sort of say if you think your government is doing is put different people in charge because they can choose not to spend money. You know, this idea that we somehow can change the direction of our city government and our state government if we limit the money they have, but we don't change the people. I think yeah. the, 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 the real that's what elections are to reelect. If you elect a new a new council, you know, you elect new people, they can make the, the decision then to spend or not spend money. The point is, if the, yeah. if you want to change the direction, if you don't like the way city council is managing of Sedona's affairs, we have open, clean elections, <laughs> not clean in the technical sense in Arizona, open uh, elections every year, every two years for mayor, and every two years council members come up. A lot of these complaints come from people who are bitter because their business, they failed and they blame the city government or whatever, or their their motivations are more psychological than political, and we have them with them. The problem is every time they recruit people who don't know the background of Sonoda, um, and they try to convince them of things. 
And as I've said every time I've done this, I've never seen any corruption on the Sedona City Council in 20 years. doesn't matter whether you're right wing or left wing or Republican or Democrat. There's never been any corruption here. Nobody's getting paid off. People who are saying that as part of their campaign against the council are basically misstating the facts. Um, or they're confusing us with the state and federal government. <laughs> <laughs> that too. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. Um, so home rule, that's important. And I think another, oh, we should go to your guys' financing. Because I know that JT will tell us about his financing. And Melissa, I have to say, people have been asking me about the fact that you took $3,500 from uh, Michael Schroeder, who is the founder of the Tea Party in Sedona and has every four years tried to undo the Sedona city government. And um, he's never yet, never yet won an election. So I do have to ask you about that. It's not just one person. It's several people. Can, can you yeah, speak to that? Sure, sure, of course I can. So if you remember that I um, lived full-time in Sedona for 18 months, I am not a politician, so I have not been involved in politics here. Um, I, uh, so when I started running, I started on March 7th, which was the first day that you could register to, to run. And, and basically, I was way behind, obviously, everyone else who started collecting signatures in November. And so friends of mine went out into their neighborhoods, and they took signatures. And one friend of mine got a signature from someone I'm not going to name. And that person called me, and we spoke. And he said, um, and at the time, we weren't talking about home rule. We weren't talking about any of those things. We were mostly talking about things like, you know, all the other things we all worry about here, OHVs and short-term rentals and, you know, tourism and so forth and so on. And um, didn't know who he was or what he was about. Uh, he said, I would like for you to come and meet somebody. So uh, three other candidates and I met with him, and uh, Mike Schrader was there. Uh, and I have no idea who he is, nothing. Um, two days later, Mike Schrader texts me, and he says, can we meet for breakfast? I said, yes, of course, you know. While we're sitting there, we're talking about, you know, my views on the current problems, which you can find on my website. And nothing of that has changed. And um, he said, I'm writing you a check. Didn't know what to do with it. Didn't know him. Didn't know anything. Later, didn't cash it right away. And um, I said, I need to find out who this guy is. So later, people started to tell me more and more about, about Mike and what Mike's views are and so forth and so on. That was the only other time I've ever spoken to Mike. So when it came time for me to turn in my very first set of financial uh, papers, I thought I have to declare everything that I've received. And actually that day, June 30th, was the day I actually deposited a check that he get, he'd given me back, like in April or something like that. And, and whatever the date is on the financial statement, that's the date I used because that's the date he wrote the check. My plan has always been to just give the money back. So I've never actually spent the money. I was just waiting till the campaign was over, and then I'm going to close out my account, and then I'm going to give him basically all of his money back. All the money that I've spent has been um, either my personal in-kind money, you know, buying paper to build flyers, <laughs> or it's been my husband's donated money in. And so um, this whole thing about, you know, um, I'm supportive of the far right. I'm, um, I'm in his pocket is um, completely not true. If you know me as a person, it would be really hard to put me in anyone's pocket. Um, I believe what I believe, and I hope the sincerity and the, you know, 
the approach that I take to things of trying to be reasonable and trying to listen and trying to, you know, find a collaboration or a compromise that we can all agree with and live with in Sedona. This is about Sedona. And, um, you know, obviously, if, if you don't believe I represent you pr- properly, you shouldn't vote for me. If you think I can represent you in a representative democracy, then I hope you will vote for me. Uh, JT, you're not accepting any contributions, and you're not putting out any signs, and you're not doing that. And you've been criticized by fellow Democrats and, for, and people for, for not doing a more active campaign, just doing it so quietly that we wonder where people will hear. Yeah, well, I, I don't know if I would say I've been criticized, or at least they haven't criticized me to my face. They have, oh, no. <laughs> um, they've certainly made very strong suggestions that I'm off my rocker. <laughs> uh, if that's criticism, that's fine. It, it may be actually more to the, close to the truth. Um, but here's the thing. Um, I've had a very strong interest in uh, campaign financing uh, and watched it at various levels ever since the uh, uh, the ruling by the Supreme Court. Um, that said it's wide open. Anybody can give whatever they want. Um, and it, it, it bothers me. So um, I felt like in a, an ideal world, and I tend to be something of an idealist. People know me for that. Um, I, I would like to see where people who have served uh, already in a, in a position, if they're standing for reelection, uh, that their record ought to be able to speak for itself. Now, that's, that doesn't mean that I'm super confident in my, in my record. Uh, it just means that I've, uh, I've found a way mentally to separate winning an election from serving. And I know you need to do the first in order to get a chance to do the second, unless you get appointed, which is what I did. Um, but it's, unless you're able to, to separate them, you can't really think uh, carefully about what the implications are. And I will say to your, to your point, Steve, earlier about there hasn't been any uh, graft or anything like that in uh, city council. I've never been approached in my five and a quarter years by anyone. No one has ever even made an in, innuendo uh, about it. And yet the fact of the matter is when I ran my first campaign and I ran a traditional one and I raised about $8,000 and I spent every penny of it and some of my own, um, I, I knew who gave me money. I knew who gave me more. And it, I can't say that it didn't enter my mind when decisions came up. Now, I, I like um, Melissa, I believe her 100% because I'm the same way. I, I absolutely believe I can't be bought. But it's, it is difficult to, to deal with that. So I decided that if I'm going to run again, and there was, uh, at, at, the, at the point when it was going to be almost too late to take out a petition, uh, uh, I really had to make a decision. Um, only Brian and Pete had, had, uh, um, had, had claimed, uh, had, had taken out petitions and were officially running. And so that third seat, I was really concerned uh, about what might happen. And I really wanted to serve with them. And I really enjoyed this. And I feel like this is something that I can do. And I'll just leave it to the public. Um, I'll do everything I can within $500. So I have my website. I have these little cards that I print out that I stick in people's door that direct people to it. And I've gone to all the forums. I've gone to all the meet and greets. I've gone to meet and greets for both the mayoral candidates that you interviewed here. I've done everything I possibly can, knocked on doors. 
And uh, if that's not enough, well, we'll learn something from that. Mm-hmm. All of us will. Um, I don't know what we'll learn, uh, but it'll be interesting to see. Well, you know, when, when I read your stuff, I, I, I sometimes think John, uh, he's talking to an ideal public, yeah. an ideal electorate. And then I go on next door and I listen to people who don't know anything about anything and who have all these super opinions. And I, I worry about your campaign that way, that you're getting getting out. Uh, that's you fair. write really, really brilliant uh, uh, pieces that you send out in, in email. But I just wonder how many people are going to, you know, I'm holding up my hands like three I'm going to read these long uh, yeah. essays, John, very serious discussions of politics and sustainability. Well, at, at some point, if things are going to change with how we uh, elect our leaders and change for the better, because um, they're going to change one way or the other, um, someone has to take a stand on that. And I, I just said to myself, look, I know who I am. I don't want to misrepresent myself. I am not a person who is down in the weeds all the time. And uh, when, when you're running a campaign and people come up with, my issue is funding the chamber. My issue is OHVs. My issue is this. Obviously, candidates need to speak to that. And I speak to it. And I care because they care. But I am I'm bringing, I hope, something to the council which is in shorter supply uh, than that very tactical let's do this thing right now, which is actually what we ask our staff to do for us, and they do it incredibly well. I'm bringing a long-term perspective, and I'm trying to remind people that there is a philosophical underpinning. There is a vision, which is not um, something cobbled together with your top three issues of the day. Uh, it's, a, it's a picture of what the Sedona is that we want to become. And I've told people many times that the work that uh, Brian Fultz and the others are doing uh, on the, the current committee looking into um, putting together our community plan for the next 10 years. Uh, they're doing the most important work in the city right now. Um, and we may not realize it, but that's what we need. We need to know what we want to be as a city before we can figure out all the details of all these other little individual things, which are not individual. They all conflict with and work with and influence each other. And unless you've got that big perspective over you, you're going to make mistakes. Let's ask Melissa, what's the most important issue for you? Or if you don't want to boil it down to one issue, what, what would you like to talk about? Which of the issues facing Sedona? We have ATVs. We have short-term rentals. So many of these issues are created by state and state legislature. And there's little the Sedona government can do. What can Sedona City Council do? to deal with uh, uh, major problems in Sedona? So I think JT has the right of it. You have to understand what your long-term vision is and what your goals are associated with it. And I think one of the things that I find missing um, from our current set of pillars and and, um, other documents that are out there is the idea of a SMART goal. So what is, what is it we can really do? How do we measure it? What's the baseline? How are we achieving our goal? How are people responding to what it is we're doing? Sort of factoring all that in. And I, I think one of the issues, obviously, this all devolves from tourism, right? This is all about we have, and on, on any given day, we double our population um, with visitors to our city. And um, 
we've created uh, adventure tourism and we've taken away from what we used to have here, which was more like ecotourism. People came, they walked the rocks, they mountain biked, they enjoyed the spirituality of the rocks, they, they enjoyed the scenery around us, which we don't control. That's all controlled by the USFS. So, you know, to your point, we do have really complicated issues here that devolve from tourism, and they're not going to go away. We've always been a tourist town, and even if you stop ever talking about tourism, whether it's in trade shows or whatever else we're paying inside of our budget, um, people are going to come. When we were living in England, we went to the north end of Scotland, which is pretty remote, little people. We would run into locals there who would say, where are you from? Because obviously you're American. And uh, we would say Sedona. And they go, oh, I've heard of that. And uh, we've always wanted to go there. There were Sedona posters in the London Underground. So people are coming. No matter what we do, people are coming. And so we need, as a city, to figure out how we're going to handle this number of visitors. And I think this is a relationship. If you talk about sustainability, you have to talk about the three legs of sustainability, right? There's social sustainability, economic sustainability, and environmental sustainability. If we want to be a resilient and a sustainable community, we have to look at all of those factors. And we have to think about what are the right things for us to do along all of them. To your point, the state controls many of the things, including the use of plastic bags in our stores is controlled by the state. We're not going to change the state unless we continue to lobby for what we want and sometimes get louder than our, ourselves. We have to go beyond the state limits. We have to join together with other communities that have similar problems. We have to get conservation agencies to come perhaps and join us and, you know, with very big lobbyists down in D.C. to start to talk about can we change some of the USFS policies. It's not just that there's supposed to be recreation for everyone, but for future generations as well. So how do we get them to see there may not be something for the future generations to come to? And that's your OHV problem. Airbnb, not going to solve the Airbnb problem. They have deep pockets. Um, they are everywhere. They're in every government. Um, that statewide government. Are there other things that we can do? Affordable housing is, is hard in a landlocked community like we are a landlocked community. Um, as I said at the last panel, maybe we need to start to think about other things like how do we make commutes livable for people who have to live in Cottonwood or Camp Verde or wherever it is, Flagstaff. How do we make them livable? Is there something we can do as a community and as a city council that will help them if they've got non-school-aged children, bring their children with them and have a community cache, which is not unusual in, in some places like in England, to help those people be able to come here and to afford to work here. So I think all of these problems um, have some small bits of solutions, but we have to be realistic in what it is we're trying to do and say until the state changes and we're in a very conservative state, until that state law changes and we help vote out some of those people at the state, which you have the opportunity in November, we need to go beyond Sedona and we need to join together as a community instead of, you know, kind of yelling at each other on next door. We need to be in this together. Uh, JT, I yes. suspect you're going to talk about sustain sustainability. Is it Tell us a little bit about your program and your ideas in, on it. Okay. Um, well, you don't uh, got to talk about it. <laughs> uh, well, Melissa is right about sustainability is not just about the environment, and uh, it actually says so in our um, community plan when it says that it's a foundational uh, uh, point of our whole community plan. 
Uh, it says it's about making the connections between the different things that make for a, a strong community. Um, I have on my little card that I stick in people's doors, I have my top three issues like everybody else does. And they are sustainable community, sustainable economy, and sustainable future, just the three that you mentioned, Melissa. And um, I, I go to some depth, as you uh, mentioned, Steve, in explaining those three things uh, on my website. So uh, I, I won't read them here. Um, but um, it's, it's one of those things that is a long-term concern and an especially serious one because it affects all of us and our our. Uh, our future as human beings and, and as a race, um, but it's something that doesn't affect us as much day to day. So we have a climate action plan, for example, uh, that deals with one of those three uh, legs of the stool. And um, when the draft of that came out, I was on, had just gotten back on council, and I was pretty critical of the fact that it was talking almost exclusively about um, the problems here in Sedona, climate change problems in Sedona, that we have to breathe exhaust from all these cars and, and so forth and things we can do here. Um, and there still is this feeling that sustainability for Sedona is doing the things that we can do without making any sacrifice, not making uh, any cost. Like we have a very good program for uh, reinsulating your home and, and checking for leaks so that you can lower your energy bills, right? Well, of course, we want to do the, the, the low-hanging fruit first, the things that people can uh, actually save some money on in addition to helping the environment. But we do have to uh, look at every decision that we make, not just the budget that we grant to the uh, sustainability department, uh, but every every decision in terms of uh, what the sustainability criteria are and how much greenhouse gas it's, it's putting out, even in areas where it's not something we're counting. You know, we pour cement for a brand new building, and cement is one of the most polluting things that there is, and and yet we don't have a good way of calculating that and making that part of our uh, goal of a 50% reduction by 2030. So does that mean we just ignore it? No, we do the climate action plan and other things as well. So, Karen, you don't live in Sedona City, are you? But, but you live in VOC. Yeah, I live out in the VOC. And, I've and what Sedona does, though, affects the village where you live. So do you have, what's your question for well, What's your concern? I was just noticing that something that Melissa mentioned about maybe regional transportation. We all know that Sedona, you've got the city, you've got the county, you've got the Forest Service. You've got a lot of layers of government, governmental organizations that have something to do, so no one group can make all the problems, but it seems, do you see that the city should be looking for maybe closer ties regionally, maybe with Prescott, with Flagstaff, maybe, that's, I've never heard anybody bring up the idea of, let's say, transportation from Flagstaff to Sedona for, you know, commuters, that we should be working, looking at more regional-wide things between the counties, the two counties, and all the cities to make, maybe make our voice louder, to make changes with the federal government, with the state government, that we should, that, that should be a priority to look at those regional issues and regional solutions beyond just Sedona and the Verde Valley? Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. And then we'll go to Melissa. What's your response to that? Because we've got people yeah. who live in the area but don't live in the city and don't yeah. have a voice in the election here. You're, you're absolutely right, Karen. This is the kind of thing that needs to be fought at, at many different levels. And, in fact, um, one of the things that uh, 
a lot of the scientists will say is that while all the individual things we can do around our home to conserve water, uh, you know, use more electricity rather than gas and, and, and whatever, uh, all of those things are important, but they're more important in just changing the, the uh, what's considered the norm in society because that's the kind of thing that the higher-up politicians will respond to. And right now, uh, we're still very polarized on that. Um, but uh, we, we can do a lot more. For example, the uh, League of Cities, Arizona Cities and Towns, has several different policy committees, uh, and one of them is set up to deal with the environment. And uh, so they solicit questions uh, or concerns from the cities in the springtime, and they decide through a process of, of discussion and, and debate and whatever what things they are going to actually advocate for legislative change. Well, the one on the environment didn't even meet because no cities submitted anything. So there's tremendous um, discouragement among cities about what can be done with this uh, uh, state government. And so uh, to the same point Melissa said earlier about um, uh, not being able to, to do much with uh, short-term rentals, uh, that's true, and I'm sure you'd agree. It's only true as long as the state is is uh, legislated the way it is. So the, one of the things we definitely can do is to make sure that we get uh, people who are responsive uh, to a local control uh, back in the state legislature. So we could have a solution to, o, uh, to our OHV problems and our short-term rental problems and have significant uh, forward movement on our environmental problems if we just manage to get control of the, the governor's office and the, the state senate and the state assembly. Uh, Melissa, do you want to talk about me? Because, I mean, it just occurs to me, cause, because a lot, because Karen is a, is a co-host, how much impact the city of Sedona has on the VOC and the whole area around her. Because we're only government except, we go, except jumping to county level. Yeah, I think, I think that's one of the things that has always been fairly clear to me, because people live in the counties for sure, you know, and half of our critical workers, so people like police, um, healthcare, they don't live in the city of Sedona because we don't have um, housing that they can reasonably pay for along with other costs of living that are potentially high in Sedona. Um, and so when you think about that, you have to think about we're kind of all in this together in the Verde Valley. Right, the Camp Verde, beyond um, the environment, which for sure we're all in together because we share water, we share air, we share fires, <laughs> we share, sadly, we share many things. But when it comes to being able to understand, you have to also listen to those voices that don't live here but work here, whether they're critical workers or they're the essential workers, so the people who work in the shops and the restaurants. They, they're part of what makes Sedona tick. And we need to be able to look at them and figure out how do we in Sedona make sure that we understand what those issues are and we can help facilitate so that our city continues to run smoothly. Because if, if businesses have to shut down because they don't have enough workers to keep the hours or, you know, there's you know, other issues around that, then, you know, we in Sedona suffer and suffer proper. Right. So we're all in this together. We, we have to stop thinking just about the 18 square miles that makes up Sedona when we start to think of the issues and how we solve them. And I would just like to, to say that the, the thing about the OHVs is you can't think too simplistically about them. So even if the state says we have the right, 
like most of the other states in the union, we have the right to locally decide they can't be on our roads or they can't go over a certain speed limit. We're not the USFS. And so we're not preventing them from being um, trailered into uh, Broken Arrow or any of the other areas. We need a different solution than that for the OHVs. I think it's a much more complex problem than people are really considering, but I think there are things that we can do, and we shouldn't give up the, the forward motion of what we're doing. We're not going back to 1990. It's never happening. We have to go forward in, in the 21st century and figure out the problems together. Well, we're getting close to, to running out of time. Uh, do, do you guys have a final thing? Let's go to JT. Um, I guess not a vote for me, but, but go back to your central issues or whatever you want to say to, or to listeners about what you feel is most important in this election. Um, okay, sure. I think what I'd like to do with that, that time, Steve, is to uh, go back to the campaign financing thing just briefly because we're at a very interesting uh, time these, these couple of days. Um, candidates have submitted – uh, their quarterly reports, which covers from April, 1st of April through the 30th of June. Uh, the deadline for that was the 15th, which I think was last Friday, um, which the city wasn't open. I'm not even sure whether they were given a, a pass to turn them in by Monday. Or... Some of the filings are not been posted yeah. the last time I looked on, on yeah, and Friday. I looked, I looked this morning as well, uh, but some of them are. And uh, my guess is that uh, you know, our, our crack uh, city clerk staff will have uh, all the ones that were turned in on time, whether that extended to today or not, uh, they'll have them on by the end of the day or first thing tomorrow. I would really encourage people to go and look at it because if you are unsure about certain candidates, um, it will help to look at the kind of people who are contributing to those candidates. You might find a friend uh, listed in there or someone you know from work or, or whatever that you feel comfortable calling and say, why did you, you know, donate to this person's campaign? Anyone that contributed any significant amount of money uh, has to be listed in there. And um, I'll, I'll give you a, a hint at what you're going to find. There's some really interesting things. The top two candidates for mayor in terms of fundraising uh, have raised about almost over $73,000. Now think about that, $73,000. And, um, the, the top one is 51,600. So that's cumulative as of the uh, June 30th, and it includes some loans, but they are accounted for uh, even if they are repaid. That we've never seen that way. kind of never, never. I thought when I talked to one of the current council women, and and she said it cost about ten thousand yeah. dollars to yeah. run for office. I thought, God, so much money a few years ago. Well, in, but that, that is. One, That's what we used one, to budget for running for the state legislature right. in this district and some because I've worked yeah. on some of those campaigns in past years well, when it, we've sort of said, hey, you're going to have to raise about 50 grand to be able to have to buy advertising and to print things. That's for running in, in a state legislative district, not a city district. And, and, and consider this. Uh, the maximum contribution that an individual can make is sixty five hundred dollars. So a couple, if a couple like somebody or wanted to put someone up for election, they could donate $13,000, and that's an entire campaign. They would never have to raise money from anyone else, and don't tell me they wouldn't be somewhat beholden. 
And, and that has already been done in this campaign. Right. A, a couple right. has contributed $13,000 to one candidate. Traders family uh, yeah. have contributed $13,000 to Armstrong's campaign. And she's raised five times the amount of money we've seen anybody ever raise before. Um, there are always little mirrors, a little bit more. We could go, I haven't gone back to the statistics, John, but I, you know, we're talking more like $15,000 for a mayoral race. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I think, you know, carrying $50,000 is, is... As I said, four or five years ago, that's what we would have been thinking about to run, you know, in Legislative District 6, our old district, which sort of stretched across four parts of four different counties. You and, know, and, and I said people here were sort of thinking, well, I'll get a bunch of my friends to write $100 checks. I know of people who run for... You know, right. the city council and pastures and one with yeah. by sort of yeah, hitting up all their friends, their golf players, their bridge partners, you know, their next door neighbor and everybody. They got a bunch of them hundred dollar checks and they were able to win an election. You know, without. But but this is like, it's a, I I will agree with you. There's a tremendous jump in the amount yeah. of money that's that's been contributed to the campaign. And it's it's very easy to find. By the way, I just want to quote the convention so people will know. You just go to SedonaAZ.gov and go to the city clerk's page, and under that page is all the election information, and it has all of the, the postings of those. That's um, a little link that says elections. Yeah. <laughs> go to the city clerk's page. It's and very interesting. Push on the link that says election, and you'll have everybody's financing information. Mm -hmm. It's all uh, publicly visible. Uh, M Melissa, I don't want to neglect you here. That's all right. And um, since we want to talk about finances since it seems to be a hot topic in this in this discussion today um you should go and, and if you're concerned about the money i took you should look to see that uh, how much money i've actually raised and how much money i've actually spent um because it's also about how you spend your money not just about where you get your money um are you you know are, are, are you in some ways like trying to solicit votes by what you have to say or are you actually trying to buy votes and so you need to really think about what that is all about. I, and I just want to say this to be very clear because it's come up in Nextdoor quite frequently, which is quite an interesting experience Nextdoor. And that is, is it's the following. I am a registered, I am a registered Democrat. Um, people have kept saying you haven't said what you are. This is a nonpartisan race. So I have not been explicit about my party. I have not done a door endorsement. I am endorsed by Sedona Residents Unite. I do work for Keep Sedona Beautiful. Those are about Sedona. They are about us. And I think that is really important. This election, elect people that you believe for council will represent us. This is a representative democracy, and I think it's really critically important you believe okay, that too. Okay, we've, we've got just two minutes. We'll end on I won't ask you about what residents... Uh, so no residents unite is because we don't really have time. Karen, who we we have a sort of I don't they're not really sponsors, but we have people who are support us. And I tell you, in all the ten years, eleven years going on, almost twelve years, uh, none of the people who have supported us have ever asked us to take any editorial position on anything ever. Not one of them. They've asked us to make announcements when they have an event, but that's that's what we do for them. But uh, no one's ever asked no. us to just endorse somebody yeah. or and somebody not. Time for our thanks. Obviously, that's you know the Democrats of the Red Rocks, the Yavapai County Democratic Party, um, Steve Segner, who've been supporters for years, you know, the, you know, almost since the very beginning of the show. And just one word on the Democrats of the Red Rocks. Um, their next Zoom breakfast is July 22nd 
and they've got two very interesting guests. One is Beth Lewis, who's the executive director of Save Our Schools, and she'll be talking about this new petition to overturn the universal voucher law that the state passed this year that allows would allow every student in Arizona to take our taxpayer money and go to some private school. And she'll be talking about that. Also, Martin Quezada, who's been one of the leaders in the House and the Senate for uh, since 2012, um, they'll be speaking about what went on in the last legislative session. He's also running for treasurer, and he's got some very interesting ideas that would resonate with people here on some of the things a treasurer can do. For example, the treasurer invests Arizona money. We could be investing Arizona money in green things rather than Exxon and Smith and Wesson. So, Thank you, folks, for being with us. Uh, this podcast will be up on our website probably in a couple of days. Uh, it'll be on our Facebook page, uh, vvid.org. Join us next week, folks. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day. Thank you.